Welcome to the Talking Tall Rounds series, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. So we just completed a fantastic review of cardiogenic shock, highlighting the Cleveland Clinic team initiatives. Um, wonderful presentations defining the pathophysiology related to shock, heart attack considerations, non-heart attack related shock considerations, um, with the real highlight being the team approach, team highlights to improve upon the quality uh, that we provide to improve upon patients' well-being with this unfortunate uh, syndrome. So um, please uh, look at our Tall Rounds presentation. Just a tremendous effort based upon the team approach here at the Cleveland Clinic. So we've known the impact of uh, acute heart failure in the setting of an ICU admission for more than 50 years now. This is data from Tom Killip from Bellevue Hospital in the 1960s, a time when we had acute myocardial infarction and no treatments for it. And you can see that when you presented to Bellevue in 1960, if you had RALS on your uh, exam and you had a low blood pressure, we call that cardiogenic shock, and the mortality rate was about 70%. And unfortunately, that hasn't really changed too much. About a decade later, when we discovered the use of the right heart catheter, this is data from Kanu Chatterjee, Diamond and Forrester from the Cedars-Sinai CCU. We would take these folks who came in with an acute myocardial infarction, put a swan in them, and based on the hemodynamic profile, you could essentially draw four quadrants. What you can see in the unfilled circles are those who survived the hospitalization and in, in, and in dark circles, those who died. And you can see that those who die really are focused on this right lower quadrant where a cardiac index of less than 2.2 and a high wedge pressure. This is our baseline definition of shock as a construct today. There is another group here which is hyperperfused uh, and has a low wedge pressure, something we've come to recognize as RV infarction and plays a major role in our management and choice of decision making in terms of supportive devices as we talk about it later today. So the components of shock are hypotension, and uh, you can see I haven't put a number to it, uh, and we will not be utilizing a number to it in our shock algorithm. Uh, but hypotension is classic in this uh, setting. This compensatory tachycardia, uh, and again, uh, note while tachycardia is a common component, we'll have a number of people in the ICU who are bradyarrhythmic because they're pacemaker dependent, and chronotropic incompetence can often mask tachycardia in this setting. But the bottom line is you have to have end-organ hypoperfusion. So you can't, just because you have a blood pressure of 80 and you're doing the New York Times, you're not in shock. In shock. You have to have end-organ hypoperfusion. And so when we look at shock as a construct, we define it as an in ineffective cardiac output to meet demand in the setting of an adequate intravascular status. There's a number of definitions for shock in the literature. Uh, what you can see is there's actually been only three randomized clinical trials of shock. The shock trial, the IABP shock 2 trial, and the culprit shock trial. And in, in the shock trial was the only one where we actually used hemodynamic criteria and you actually needed a swan to go in. All of these other studies had a component of blood pressure and hypoperfusion that made you uh, enroll into the study, uh, something similar to what we will be using in our uh, protocol later today. I had the privilege of working on the shock trial, and we published a number of hemodynamic papers in the early days. And what we found was that the hemodynamic profile of shock is heterogeneous, that you did not need blood pressure 
to, uh, or a low blood pressure to definitely be in shock. They were normotensive people who were in shock with hypoperfusion. And that systemic inflammation played a marked role in the setting of shock. And so although the construct of shock was one of an acute systolic failure with a re reduced ejection fraction and a reduced stroke volume, there is a significant component of vasodilatation that is highly heterogeneous, varies from patient to patient, needs to be measured, and as a result warrants hemodynamic monitoring, including placement of a swan. This is the latest sky classification from earlier this year. Uh, I think it's a very nice classification to say that all shock is not the same. They grade it similar to how we do it in valvular heart disease, uh, A, B, C, D, and E, A being those at risk. Uh, people with classical shock actually start here. They're people who have hyperperfusion. We're beginning to put support on them. But then they tend to deteriorate. And when they deteriorate, we add on further supportive devices. And finally, they're in extremists. We're doing CPR. We have them on an ECMO. These are apples and oranges. And to compare them across clinical trials, you need some sort of a classification like this. And uh, this is going to be extremely useful going forwards. We were very quickly able to actually validate this. This is a a paper from Jacob Jenser at Mayo. We looked at this classification uh, at the Mayo Clinic over 10,000 patients in Jack last month, and you can see that this classification uh, that, that is simple, just the presence of hypoperfusion really identifies someone who's at risk in the unit, and then you get go on to refractory shock. There's a huge mortality difference, and this gap is where intervention has the promise to probably alter outcomes in this otherwise dismal disease. This is data that Paul Kremer and I have uh, contributed to. This is the critical care network registry just out in CERC. This is a snapshot of C CCU admissions across the United States in 30 hospitals this past year. And what I want to show you is that shock is extremely heterogeneous when you see it in the CCU. Cardiogenic shock is the predominant cause, uh, but certainly other forms of shock coexist. And when you actually look at the cause, although all our data is in acute myocardial infarction and shock, you can see that AMI shock is only 30% of what we see in the CCU today. A large proportion of shock that we see is non-ischemic or in ischemic without AMI. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like what you heard? Visit Tall Rounds online at clevelandclinic.org slash tallrounds and subscribe for free access to more education on the go.